Amen. Felt like ready, break, right? We got to get into that now. Okay. All right. So let's go to some scripture. This is the book of Luke. And uh, this is uh, where Jesus is invited into Lazarus's house, uh, Mary, Martha, his two sisters. Uh, verse 38 is where it begins. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus went into a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat down at the Lord's feet and kept listening to what Jesus was saying. But Martha was worrying about all the things she had to do. So she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, you do care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself, don't you? Then tell her to help me. Do y'all recognize those two ladies in your family? You know, the ones that's doing all the work and ones that's letting, you know, it's a nervous laughter. Nobody's saying amen because somebody's sitting close to you, right? Uh, let's go on. The Lord answered her, Martha, 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 Martha. You worry and fuss about a lot of things, but there's only one thing you need. Mary has chosen what is better and is not to be taken away from her. Okay, that word worry, I've got underlined. The Greek word is marizo, and uh, again, I don't know how to pronounce Greek, except I just go online and you know, do the best I can with it. It means to distract, to divide, to draw different directions. You might not know that word, but you've been impacted by it. You, you understand that word, right? You ever felt like you were drawn in different directions all at the same time? Distracted? Your attention had to be divided by too many things to get anything done well. Martha was overwhelmed by this for a moment. Think about what she's doing here. She says, Jesus, come to my house. And Jesus shows up. And what does she do? She goes into the kitchen, starts cooking. She starts cleaning the house and doing all the things. She starts fixing all the stuff and She's upset because Mary doesn't also get, she's missing the point, isn't she? I mean, she's she missing the point. I mean, the point is, I want Jesus in my house. And then he gets there and I'm too busy doing stuff to spend time with Jesus. And that's what Jesus said. Martha, you, you worried about the wrong things. You know, if you invite me over to your house, okay, and you invite me for dinner, it's not about the food. It's, well, now, some of you, it might be about the food, sir. Some of you are pretty good cooks. I know. But, I mean, it's really not about the food. It's about the fellowship, right? And, you know, if I'm there 15, 20 minutes and dinner's still not ready, I'm like, hey, let's order a pizza and let's just have some fellowship. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, that's what it's, this is what Jesus is saying is, is, Martha, this is what you asked for is me to be here. You know, not to impress me with your house, not to impress me with your cooking. You wanted me to be here. Do we not miss it ourselves also? Sometimes on Sunday mornings even as well, you know, sometimes it's a chore to get to service by, you know, man, on daylight, to get here by 1130, man, it's a chore, isn't it? Okay, I'm digging at you a little bit this morning, okay, I know, but sometimes it is a chore to get to church, which, whew, finally got here, you know, and it's like, you know, that was the focus, so we're here, and we missed the reason for being here. You know, if light bulb goes out right now, I'm not going to say, whoa, whoa, time out, somebody get a, a ladder, and somebody, we're not going to change the light bulb right now, that's not what it's time for. You know, and, and I, I got to be honest with you, there's sometimes I'm standing there, Jamie's leading worship and I'm standing there and, and I'm singing and I'm singing the words and I'm thinking about all that stuff that happened this past week and I got a funeral tomorrow and I've got, you know, I'm thinking about all this and, and then God reminds me, is this what you're here for? I think, it's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to think about, yeah, I got a lot of, and a lot of that stuff is important. I got to deal with it, but that's not what this is about. I mean, this whole thing is about the visitation of the spirit of God in my life. 
And sometimes, man, we just blow it. We just forget what this is all about. Okay, God gives us vision, right? We're going to talk a little bit about vision this morning. He gives us vision. This is what we've done here at 2911. Okay, we've got this vision. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we start thinking, okay, how are we going to accomplish this vision? So we get over here and we start working on it. We start writing all these things down. We start organizing and start planning and all. And we've got, we got all these to-do lists and everything. And if we're not careful, we'll say, okay, we're going we're gonna to accomplish this by doing this. And if we're not careful, we will keep, keep turning until finally, you know, all our attention is on this. And we forget the why. We can get caught up in the things that we forget the why that the things are important. We can even get comfortable with the things. We can even get passionate about the things. We can get passionate about stuff that is supposed to lead us to Christ, but because we're so focused on this, we've forgotten all about the Christ thing. We forgot, wait, wait Jesus is here. That's what he's saying. I'm here, Martha. You know, quit working. Settle down for a little. It's, it's time. You know, uh, I've said this many times before. Is, is people ask, you know, what's the most important thing? Read the Bible, pray, go to church. You know what? The most important thing to do is whatever it's time to do right now. That's the most important. And when Jesus shows up, it's time to do that. You know, and if there's a light bulb out, forget about it until after Jesus is gone. If, if you don't have dinner ready, hey, order pizza, go sit down at the feet of Jesus. You know, we'll eat afterwards or something. But don't, don't miss the important thing. Okay, it's easy for us to do this. Now, what does all this have to do with the big dance? All right, the big dance. That's uh, a term that's used for March Madness, which is, for those of you who are not basketball fans, that is the uh, end of the year tournament. After the regular season is over, they have this big tournament and they play. You know, you got one shot. You lose a game, you're out. You know, you win, you keep playing. As soon as you lose, you're out. You just one and out, one and out. And uh, they go, you go through it until they get down to two teams. Two teams play. Whoever wins, they're the champions, Okay. 1977, before the uh, beginning of the season, Al McGuire, uh, do y'all know about Al McGuire? No, because a little too young for him, right? Marquette's coach, he announced this will be my final season. Now, he didn't do a Brett Favre, okay? He, he actually stayed with it. Uh, he said, this is my final season, and they won the championship that year. Now, a lot of people would be tempted, and I might have been tempted too, so let's try this one more time, you know? I'm going to have a lot of these players back or whatever, but he didn't. He said, this is my final season, and, uh, and they actually won the, the, the whole tournament. They were the champions that year, and leading into March Madness, to the tournament, uh, he was asked by a reporter. See, he had this, he had this blue blazer. That he, they were calling him, man, it's the lucky blue blazer because he kept wearing it, kept wearing it. They asked him, you gonna wear the blue blazer? And he said, you gotta wear the blue blazer when you go to the big dance. How'd you got it? And so that's how the, the, the term came to be, the big dance, okay? That's how the whole thing became the big dance. He said, man, this is it. You know, this is the thing we've been looking for. We're trying to get here, we get here. Yeah, I'm wearing the blue blazer. You know, okay, now this also kind of brought another phrase into, it, it actually is about 50 years older than this, but it kind of made people bring another phrase in. It's an old Texas phrase from about 50 years old, almost 100 years ago, we know it's at least that old. Dance with the one that brung you. Sounds like a Texas uh, phrase, doesn't it? Or, or maybe an Alabama phrase as well. Dance with the one that brung you, you know? And, and what that means is, uh, you know, it would be impolite to go to a dance and dance with everybody else except for the person that took you to the dance. Okay, now what he's saying and, and what he's saying about the dance and what coaches are saying, what, what uh, commentators say when they're talking about that, and they use this phrase, what they're saying is, he's saying, hey, this blue blazer's gotten me this far, I believe it could take me all the way to the championship. But we know it's not about the blue blazer. And he knew it wasn't about the blue blazer too. Okay, he did not really think that the blue blazer was his good luck charm and that's why he is gonna win the championship. He knew that. But sometimes those kinds of things, you know, we, we kind of put a little too much emphasis on them. They become hindrances, distractions. 
Imagine, if you will, the night before the March Madness begins, the big dance, before their first game in this thing. Imagine he's in his hotel room because they're on the road. You know, they're in some, I don't even, I don't even know where they played the, the, that first game that year. But they're on the road, so he's in a hotel. He's getting the blue blazer already. You know, he's steamed it. He's gotten all the wrinkles out of it. He's got it hanging up. But he has it hanging a little too close to the heater. It catches fire. He gets it put out, but he's got about half of it's gone now. He's got a half a blazer now, you know, whatever. <laughs> So what does he do? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, man, he's got to be tempted to run down J.C. Penney real quick. You know, so I got to, I got to get a blue blazer. I got to fool the guys tomorrow because you know what's going to happen. They hear that the blue blazer, the lucky blue blazer, has burned. Now I don't know. If you're not an athlete, you won't get this. But if you're an athlete, you'll get this. Or if you got athletes in your family, you'll get this. Athletes can be the most superstitious people in the world. Yeah, and and you know, like I know guys that, well, they change their underwear but they put it back on before the next game because that's my lucky underwear, you know, I gotta wear that. You know, they can be some very superstitious people. And so if he had shown up the next day and told the guys, guys, I'm sorry, you know, the, the blue blazer, it, I, I, I said it on fire accidentally last night. There's the lucky blue blazer. You know, that, that kind of psyche would, would get all over them. Even the fans, the fans are like, where's the blue blazer? You know, the fans would be, I mean, they wouldn't be able to say, yeah, come on, Marquette, look at the blue blazer. They'd have to say, where's the blue blazer? It would be, it becomes a hindrance. Tradition, good luck, things that, things that don't matter become hindrances to us from fulfilling and completing and becoming what God intended us to fulfill, complete, and become. Disciplines are important, not blue blazers, not traditions. Not good luck charms, disciplines. How many of y'all like discipline? Y'all like discipline? Yeah, everybody likes discipline, right? No, no, well, I, I, I don't know if I caught JC sleeping or if he, <laughs> or if he really doesn't like discipline, you know? Disciplines, discipline. We don't like discipline. But you know what disciplines do for you? They're important because, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through these really slow and just say, but let me run through real quick. Disciplines help you maintain your work ethic. They keep you focused on your vision and they keep you connected to your true passions. Okay, so first of all, what kind of work ethic would you have without discipline? Your boss, you, you got a job, your boss tells you, look, I'm gonna pay you anyway whether you show up or not this week. You, you don't have to show up tomorrow. How many of you gonna show up this week, you know? <laughs> what is your work ethic gonna be when, when discipline is out the window? When you don't, maybe you don't have any bills to pay this week, so you know, I'll just take the week off. When you don't have bills to pay, when you don't, you don't have mouths to feed, when your boss says, I don't care if you show up or not, when discipline goes out the window, our work ethic does too. We need discipline to keep our work ethic. So we, and, I, and I know we don't like to talk about work ethic, but hey, you know, if you're going to accomplish anything, it's going to take some effort, some work ethic, okay? And discipline helps us maintain that. And it also keeps us focused on the vision, like prayer and Bible. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But one of the most important things you can do is read your Bible and pray and talk to God every day. Because what it does is it reminds you, wait, wait, wait a minute, this is the vision. Because, you know, we can get all our papers and we can get all of our, our to-do lists and everything. That's why we got to get back, get back to the basic of the Word of God and just talking to Him. And it keeps us focused on the vision instead of the stuff. I mean, one of the best ways you can do that is, is make sure you don't get caught up in the stuff and stay focused on the vision is prayer and Bible every single day. Talk about that in just a moment. Also, again, like I said, and discipline is important. They, they help keep you connected to your true passions. Your true passions. I, I have passions. And then I got things I like to do. You know, and one of the things I like to do is I like to play around with video stuff. Like this video, I didn't make this video, okay? I didn't, I didn't make it, obviously, because there's way too much Michigan in there, you know, for me. Uh, but I didn't make this, this uh, video. 
I, you know, it's a good thing when pastor doesn't get, have to do videos because I can waste a day doing a video. I mean, I can't. I mean, you know, I can, I can get working on videos and man, I just, I love doing it. It's really fun. I don't know if you've ever done something like that. And I can just, you know, look up, oh, the sun's going down. I wasted a day, you know, and it's wasted because, yeah, I didn't need to be spending all my day on that. Discipline keeps you focused on the true passions and doesn't let you get distracted by the things that are fun. Okay, so let me tell you about three disciplines at, at 29.11. Three things. And, and the, first one, the first one is discipleship. So, sounds like the same word, doesn't it? Okay, listen. We don't use the word discipleship when we're announcing things a whole lot. I mean, it's not like we say, okay, it's time for discipleship, and everybody's going to show up at 3 o'clock today, right? I mean, it'd be like if I said, look, we're going to have prayer meeting tomorrow night. How many of you are going to show up? You know, I mean, and people don't show up for that kind of stuff. You say, discipline, discipline, what, discipline discipleship. We're going to do discipleship. They what? We don't use those terms, but we disciple around here. When we say, we've pl we're planning something that is going to strengthen your marriage. You need to be there. It's discipleship, that's what we're talking about. When you're invited to a small group, to come to a small group, because this is a small group you know, that's gonna help you understand how to pray better and how to ask God for the things that you need. Discipleship. There are a lot of the things we do around here that we don't say, hey, we're discipling you right now if you weren't noticing, but we're doing those things. You know, and, and sometimes you, need, you just need to understand and recognize the church is doing these things. You know, the church is not doing these things because, man, I need one more thing on my plate to, to, you know, to head up. We don't do it that way, but it's like you know, when you were a kid and your mom told you you had to eat your, your, you know, your green peas or green beans or something, you know, and you didn't like to eat anything green, but she made you eat something green. You, know, and you didn't really understand why. Hopefully, you've grown up now and you understand why. You need a little something green. You know, our son, he, I told him one day, he said, you don't eat anything green. He said, yes, I do. He said, I eat Apple Jacks almost every day. That's the green. But you, know, you need something green in your, in your diet. And so you understand that a little bit now, but you didn't then in the same way when the church, you know, the pastor's like, you need to get in a small group. You need, or say, you need to be discipled. You need to get, grow closer to Jesus. You need to be stronger in him. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. So let me talk to you about some of those things. In Acts chapter six, verse four, there were some, this was early in the church days and, and there were some details not being taken care of. And so they came to the disciples and said, all right, some details not being handled. And so the disciples went over and they started handling. That's me. I mean, I'm the guy, you know, details aren't handling. Man, I'm over there. I'm helping. I'm working on it. My problem is I don't know when to walk away from it a lot of times. You know, I, that's why, you know, I get caught up in the doing a lot of times. And hey, this is fun. Enjoying hanging out with you guys and let's do it. The disciples knew, but this is not what we're called to do. They got over there and they started handling it. They said, now let's find somebody that's called to do this. And Acts chapter six, verse four says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They said, we know what we're called to do and we have to stay on, on our vision. This is what we are called to do. And so, and so they didn't get caught up in doing, but they, they stayed focused. Their discipline was to do that. But in actuality, every one of us should have this discipline. The most important thing you can do as a Christian, you need to do this. The, the most important thing you do every single day is pray and speak to God. You need to do that every single day. And, and, and I know some people say, yeah, but if you tell everybody to do it every, it'll just become a form. Well, if it becomes a form, you might have to work through that. But it, instead of seeing it as a form, see it as a discipline. It is something I do every day. You know, it's like eating. Anybody here eat? Yeah, okay. I eat every day. 
Unless God leads me to fast, I eat every single day. And you know what? It is not a form. <laughs> it is an enjoyment. Now, come on, somebody help me here. You know, it's, it, it's a discipline I have, you know, and so I, I, I kind of I relish that discipline a little bit. So it's not form, it's discipline. You need to pray and talk to God every single day. You want to grow stronger? You want anything to happen in your life right? You need to pray and talk to God every single day. Secondly, that, that's the most important thing you do as a Christian. Your daily, the most important thing we do as a church is meet regularly. You know, I, and, and I know we got all these things that we do, but those are individual things. The important thing we do as a church is meet regularly. In Ma Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus uses a word here for the church. Okay, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that, that word is ecclesia, or, you know, and that's, you can pronounce it a bunch of ways. Ecclesia, ecclesia, or ecclesia, a lot of different ways. I, I don't know what's right. I didn't live back in those days, so, you know, when, when they were pronouncing it then. We do know what it means. It means called out. Now, I've heard this preached a lot. I've heard it taught that it means called out, so God is calling us out separately from the world. That's not all it means. Okay, you need to get this whole thing. It's like a town crier, you know, back when they, you know, before they had cell phones and smartphones, you know, and internet and Twitter and, you know, everything, you get in touch with everybody like that. They had these guys that just walked through the streets and they would just yell out announcements. And like if there was going to be, you know, they had some news they had to share with everybody. And so there was going to be a meeting at sundown at the town square. They would send the crier out. He would walk up and down the streets yelling out, meeting tonight at the town center, you know, uh, at sundown. He would just yell it out. And so what he was doing is he was calling people out of their house, but he was calling them all together. This is the word Jesus used, and after this, it's used a lot, through, over 30 times it's used in the New Testament. But the first time it's used, Jesus uses it, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a church on a rock of faith that will not be, not, will not be overcome by the enemy. And the way I'm going to do it is I, I'm calling you out of all your stuff that is messing with you and tearing your life up and all that. I'm calling you out of that, I'm calling you to come together. And isn't that, this, this is the thing, um, you know, we, we, we were told just a few years ago, I've been, been here this for several years, here's the thing that's going to happen to the American church in the near future. What is going to happen, it, it, church roles are going to continue to grow, people are going to write their name, yeah, I'm joining this church, and, I'm, and church roles are going to continue to grow, but overall attendance is going to decrease because percentage is going to drop. Because we've learned we don't actually have to go to church to be a Christian, Right? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's, that's right. You don't have to take a bath every day either. You don't have to brush your teeth. You don't have to change your clothes or your lucky underwear, whatever. And you don't have to wear deodorant. But the people around you, they hope you do. And eventually somewhere down the road, eventually somewhere down the road, you're going to wish, man, I wish I had stayed clean. Ooh, somewhere down the road, you're going to look back and say, yeah, I could have slipped out. I wish I had been in every other week. This is, what, this is what is going on in the church world today. Talk to pastors everywhere around. Their churches are growing. Uh, some churches are growing, but the churches are growing. A lot of them, their attendance is not growing because the percentage is dropping off. Don't get caught in the trap. It's the most important thing that you and I do together is to come together because that's the focus. It's back to our first scripture. When Jesus said, Come on, Martha, that's not what's, what's important is I'm going to build my church. I'm not building my church out of a bunch of people who have separated themselves from everything else in the world. No, 
I am building my church to be something that has come out of all that junk, but they have come together. And remember what he says later? He says, where two are gathered together in my name, I'm in their midst. I'm calling my church to come out of all their junk and to come together so that I can be in their presence. That's what he calls his church. Meeting together on a regular basis is very important. It is important to you for your strength. Okay, so catch these two things, prayer and Bible and meeting regularly. Don't lose those two things. Here's another thing. Faith. You know what faith is? I normally, I normally always go to Hebrews chapter 13 when I'm talking about faith. But, but God led me here. For we walk by faith, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I would love to teach to you about 15, 20 minutes here about this one little verse of scripture right here. I don't have that much time. So let me, let me, let me do it as quick as I can and, and get you to understand here. He, he uses, uh, as he is explaining this to us, Paul is writing, he uses this and, and, and he uses one of our senses, sight, right? He doesn't use the others, he uses sight. And think about it, which sense is it that we put more emphasis on when we're trying to determine if something is true or not? It's sight, isn't it? I mean, you know, all the other senses don't matter near as much as sight because seeing is, right. I mean, when we, we believe, and that's true, isn't it? I mean, you can smell something, but you still don't know if it's there until you see it, right? Yeah. That happens to my wife all the time. We've got three grandchildren that stay at our house a whole lot. So a lot of times she, she senses something with her nose, but until she pulls the diaper back and looks and sees it with her eyes, does she, not know, she doesn't know until she sees that, yes, we need a diaper change, right? Our sight. I mean, we put all our emphasis. So here's what he's saying is, he said, the very strongest of your senses is not enough. Your common sense is not even enough. We walk by faith. And, and, and what is, why do we do that? Because chapter four, verse 18, same book says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Everything you see right now is going to pass away. It's going to die. It's going to fade. It's going to rot. It's going to be gone one day. The only things that are eternal are things you cannot see with your eyes. You can only sense with your faith and believe in with your faith. And so we walk by faith and church 29, 11 was built on faith. It was founded on faith. It was started. If you don't know the stories, let's have lunch. Let me tell you. There are things we had to do that other people look, and people still look at us, but back in those days too, but people look at us and say, they look and say, ah, that ain't gonna work. And look with your eyes. No, it ain't gonna work, but we're not looking with our eyes. God has called us to do something. And by faith, we said, we believe. We stepped out in faith in so many areas because we believed that God had given us a vision to reach the unchurched. And so there, there, there are a lot of church people that they don't get why we do some of the things we do. That's okay. Plenty of churches out there for people that don't get us. It's those that don't get that that we're here for. And God has given us a calling to reach the unchurched. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but let me see. One last little thing here before we get to that about the unchurched is that there is no discipleship without discipline. You can't follow God a couple of days a week and become a disciple. You can't follow anybody a couple of days a week and become a disciple. You want to be a disciple. I mean, you gotta, it's got to pour into you every single day. You've got to be making decisions. You've got you to you really get disciplined. You want to be a disciple, you've got to get disciplined. You have to imagine, imagine, okay, Al McGuire's going to try and he's going to try and win 1977. He's going to win March Madness, the big dance. But every game that they play as they're going through and they're knocking opponents down one by one, every game he comes out and he looks down at his bench, he's ready to send in his players. He looks down, he's got different players there every week. 
or, or minute every game. How in the world do you win? Or, or, or imagine he comes to them. Maybe he's got the same players, but he comes to them and says, okay, guys, for this game, we're going to change our entire philosophy. You don't do that. You might change a play. Hey, they got a big guy, so we got to change a play a little bit. You might change a You don't change philosophies. You stay disciplined about the things God has called you to be, using that example. You got to stay disciplined about that. Imagine, what kind of education would you get if you woke up every morning in the dorm room and instead of saying, oh, I got to get to such and such class today, da, 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 you know, you pulled out the old syllabus that you'd held on to and you flip through and say, you know, that, that class looks fun. I think I'll go over there today. What kind of education would you get? What kind of relationship, guys, would you build with a girl if every weekend you wanted to date somebody different? <laughs> Assuming you lived long enough to figure that out, right? <laughs> In the same way. What kind of disciple can I become? What kind of success can I have? What kind of relationship can I have with God without the discipline of being there? God, you can count on me every single day. Build the disciplines in your life. That's part of what we've got to do as a church. Okay, so here's the last two things. Two things pretty quick here. One is about buildings. Buildings. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me say, we refuse to be defined by our building. We, we, we preach that. Now, we kind of got to a place where we didn't have to say it that much anymore. We, we just kind of said, we are not defined by our building. We're not. Let me ask you, how many of you came because of this awesome building we're in? Now, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, to, to lessen all the work. There's been a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of effort, a lot of money that's gone into this building. And, and, and you know, but here, if you've ever, uh, you know, been church hunting because maybe your church closed or or you moved and that's, that's a lot of you that's that way you you've had to look for a church from time to time and, and if you've ever looked you might have found a few buildings you know like last last week uh, where dave and i were at we were at gateway in in dallas and that's the kind of building you drive by and say oh i need to try that out one sunday but i guarantee you there's nobody sitting in this room that drove by this building one day and said, wow i think i'm gonna go in there and check that out <laughs> i'm not trying to say that anything negative or bad Here's what I'm saying. I hope that never changes. I hope no one ever comes to 2911 because they say, wow, what an awesome building. I, because we're not about a building. The church is the people. I hope people keep coming because that's why they're coming. I hope people keep coming because they say, wow, there's something special about that church, those people, not the building. Okay. Because you know what happens when it becomes about the building, right? Here, here's, here's four types of building. You know, the, the, the church, the monument church, you know, a reminder of something that once was. Y'all ever been there? I have. Uh, oh, the museum church, displays of yesterday galore. I mean, everything is, everything is about yesterday. Or the sanctuary, a place to hide out and seek refuge. You know, or, or an orphanage, a shelter, awaiting a connection. You ever been to that church? I visited that church one time. One time. Never wanted to go back. I was sitting there and I was waiting for, I felt like the orphan, you know, I'm waiting for a connection, you know, and I sit there and sit there and finally some guy about three rows in front of me, you know, he made the mistake of catching my eye, you know, our eyes. And so he had to do something. So kind of nervously, he nodded and threw up a hand. I didn't count that as a connection. I didn't connect. So that was my one time there, right? I didn't go back. You know, that's, that's what an orphanage church is, right? At 2911, here's what we believe a church should be. It's nothing about the building. 
Instead of being a monument, it should be a mission, which is an outpost and a needy place. I'll come back to this in just a minute. Think about a mission, an outpost and a needy place, a hospital where lives are preserved and healed, an armory, a place to be supplied and equipped and resupplied and re-equipped, and next week resupplied and re-equipped, a family, not an orphanage, but a family where everybody belongs. As soon as you walk in the door, you're one of us. You belong here. Man, we're glad to have you. You're, you're us. You know, there are no us's and them. You're one of us when you come in the door. That's what we believe at 2911. These are the things that we believe in 2911. Because think about this. No refugee ever shows up at a mission. And as they're handing them some bread saying, you break the, bake this bread in that building? You expect me to eat it? That building's, that's an ugly color y'all painted that building. I mean, you know, you want me to eat the bread, y'all gonna have to repaint that building. No hungry person ever complained about the building when they were given fresh bread. You know, or, or, or like, like a hospital. Can you imagine somebody, you know, being rushed to the hospital in the back of an ambulance, they pull up to the ER, they're, they're dragging them out, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, stucco? You gotta be kidding. Come on, find me a brick hospital. You, know, give. you don't complain about, the, it's not about the building. Is it? A soldier, does a soldier care what the armory looks like? No, the soldier says, when I, I'm not going to see this building again for a while. You know, I'm, when I leave this building, I'm going to war, I'm going to battle. Monday morning, come on guys. I'm going to, load me up, I don't care what it looks like, I need some arms, I need some equipment, load me up, I'm going into battle. They don't care what the building looks like. And it's not a house. Is that what we're looking for, is a house? No. It's a family that makes a home, right? And it's a church family. It's people that make the building what it's supposed to be. So we are not defined by the building. We define the building. People talk about this building. They don't talk about this building. They talk about 2911 in the building. And with everything that is within me, everything that is within me, I am purposed to never let that change that we will never be about a building. We will always be about people. And lastly, the vision is the unchurched. And one of the best things, one of the most important things that a church can do for its people is help them, enable them, equip them to tell their story. And we do that at 2911. Do you know that? Yeah, we got enabling and equipping classes this afternoon. You didn't see them? No. It's kind of like the discipleship thing. We don't say, hey, we're enabling and equipping you to tell your story this afternoon and be here at three o'clock. We don't do that. We, we just, we do it from the things we do. And so like, again, you know, you're not eating your peas. So you wonder why you don't know how to tell your story. You're not eating your peas. Show up, get involved in a small group, be here, connect, commit, you know, lock in somewhere. If God has put you here, then lock in, you know, and, the, and you know why I can say that? Is because I regularly say, if this ain't the church, you know, cranks your tractor, go find the one that does. That's why I can say that. If this is the church that God has put you in, then lock in and get something done that is eternal, not something done that is going to pass away. Get something done that cannot be seen with these eyes, that can only be believed with faith. Lock in. And if this is not it, then go find that place and lock in there and say, this is where God has put me and I'm going to accomplish something eternal through this. Amen. Research, Tom Rainer, I was reading him this, this week, or it might, uh, might have been a couple of weeks ago, and I made the note to throw into this sermon. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. He said, evangelism is dying. Now, this is a guy that does research all the time. He says, evangelism is dying. 
And here, here, here's the stat, is if you take all the churches and you average them all together, for every 50 attenders, every 50 people attending a church, one unchurched person is reached every year. I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable. We've probably got about 80 people sitting here. So that, you know what that means? That means in this group of people, we're going to reach one, maybe two people this year if we're average. That's unacceptable. The, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot, it cannot grow one person a year or two people a year in this crowd right here. And here, here's, here's the danger. Here's what happens with this is you hear that and you say, whew, well, you know, well, pastor, you know, he's probably going to reach one so we can just all kind of sit back, you know, and, you know, and you know, Jody, man, he talks to everybody. You know, Jody, he's probably going to reach one. So, man, we're all good. We're, we're going to be above, ahead of the curve. You know, pastor and Jody reach one. We can all just sit back and just wait and not worry about it. We're kind of average and we're doing well. That's unacceptable. Because you think about the number of people that are dying every year. People, the number of Christians, that is unacceptable. Something has to change. We've been given a vision, and, and, and you see, here, here's one of the problems. We've been given a vision to reach the unchurched because one of the problems is churches have gotten comfortable with transfer growth instead of conversion growth that reaches the unchurched, the people that don't know Jesus Christ. Churches got comfortable with that, and as long as we're growing, God didn't call us at 2911 to grow a crowd. We're not here to grow a crowd. We're here to grow the kingdom. And the only way to grow the kingdom is to go find people that aren't in the kingdom. You go find somebody in, a, in the kingdom in another church, bring them to your church, that's not growing the kingdom. That's just shuffling people. God called us to reach the unchurched. And the goal was 50%. Well, that wasn't really the goal. That's just the goal we told y'all about. Because my goal has always been 60%. But we told you 50%. Why? Because we didn't know if you could really fully think about 60%. That's over half. So we just told you half. And a little over a year ago, we've not checked. We, we, we're behind on pulling all our numbers together. But when we checked the numbers last time, we were at 46%. Here, here's what that means. And if this don't blow you away, I don't know what's wrong with you. It means 46% of the people attending this church were going nowhere before coming to 2911. I tell other pastors that their mouths drop open. They say, you're, kid, you're crazy. You're a kid. That's... And I say, oh, yeah, I got, the, I got the numbers to prove it. And we don't fudge on them. We, we try to guess and we lean the other way if we can and so now that we're almost there, and you know, sometimes it's hard to get that last little bit, so that's why we're going to go ahead and take 60%. That's the goal. That's always been my goal because, uh, you know, I, I think you're always going to have people come from other churches because they're, they need a different place to go or whatever or whatever's happening in their life. But we have to keep, re and so, so for every, every, you know, two people that come from another church, then we need four people. We need to be reaching other people. That's the goal. How do we do that? Man, how do we do that? With all this stuff, well, not really. Just get back to the vision. And when you set the goal and you just remember, I got a vision and God's doing this, that's where it all happens. This, this, here, here's how, here's how it, it, will, it will be accomplished and how it will happen. Is this last little phrase. And if you don't dance, uh, don't be offended. I don't either. Uh, if you saw me try, you'd say, yeah, you don't dance, Pastor. Please don't try anymore. We must continue to dance the dance that God gave us to dance. Dance our dance. Do our thing. It's working. Don't become like a lot of these schools, a lot of these basketball teams this month that are going to be playing in March Madness. They're going to be playing their first game in an arena 
bigger than they've ever been in before. And they're going to say, whoa, you know, like, we got to change some things. We're going to play with the big boys. Uh-uh. You got to have confidence in what you have used to get to this awesome place you are. You got to have confidence that's enough to take you on. And God has called us to this. And wow, look, look what he's called us to. Look what has happened. And in a few weeks, you're going to hear some stories. Okay, we're, we're putting these together. You're going to hear some stories. And amazing. I could tell you stories over and over. And, and that song we sang a little while ago, man, I throw up my hand. We're talking about uh, uh, eyes have been open, uh, chains have been broken, eyes have been open. Man, I th- if you see me throw my hand up during that, you know why I'm throwing my hand up? Because I'm thinking about eyes that have been opened. I'm thinking about chains that have been broken in, in our congregation. I say, man, that's happening right here. Thank God for that. And how's it going to continue? How's it going to get better? How's it going to get stronger? How's it going to get us to a place where we really want to get to? Keep dancing. What God has called us to dance. Amen. Stand with me. Come to the front. Let's close. If you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song. And uh, we'd love to have you join us if you're comfortable. Let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you this one last little thing. How, how's, how, are the, how, things, how are things going to happen in, in our church and in my life that I need to happen. Um, yeah, we're going to do some things, right? We're going to, we got to do these things that we're called to do. But what really happens, the way these things happen, and see, this is what, this is what always blows me away is when some of you come to me and you say, let me tell you what's happened in my life. And I'm thinking, I didn't preach on that. <laughs> you know, what happens is when we're doing these things, God, there's an intrinsic, there's a something that you don't see. There's something, you know, that I'm fixing and you don't, you know, and there's something else happening behind me and behind the scenes. And how's that going on? It's God. It's his spirit. It's his power. It's his anointing. And we're going to sing a song about the blood. It's, it's the power of the blood. And, and, and listen, here, here's, here's how it happens. We focus on the stuff we do, okay? And, yeah, we have to do some things God has called us to do. You, you, you got to open up your mouth and just tell your story every once in a while. Tell somebody something about Jesus. Or, I mean, yeah, you got to do, there's something you got to do. But that's not really where God works, not in your doing. He works in your obedience. That's where he works. That's where the miracles happen. That's where this intrinsic power, anointing, authority, the blood of Jesus begins operating. It's not in the stuff you do, in the obedience. And when you start being obedient, yeah, there'll be some stuff you do. But don't focus on the doing. Focus on the obedience. Bow your heads with me. Jamie, go ahead.